we just come back from two fantastic weeks holiday in a cottage in North Yorkshire in Swaledale. I don't know about you, but I always end up putting on weight on holiday. One of the things that is a feature of our family holidays is having some food treats, things that we wouldn't perhaps normally eat at home every day. And so having now returned from holiday, I've got a bit of weight to lose, ideally probably about a stone if possible, weight that I've put on not just on holiday, but actually right the way throughout lockdown. It was our 24th wedding anniversary when we were away. And so courtesy of the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Claire and I went out for a half price meal uh, to celebrate our wedding anniversary. And one of my favorite puddings, probably my favorite pudding, uh, is sticky toffee pudding. And so when I saw it on the menu there at the Black Bull in Wreath in Swaledale, I just had to have that. But, you know, there are a few things worse in life than not having enough ice cream with sticky toffee pudding. I hate having to ration the ice cream that I have with my sticky toffee pudding. I, it, I just find it so stressful and it just ruins the whole pleasure of the pudding. I mean, I guess there are a few things worse in life than not having enough ice cream, famines, earthquakes and armies, but, but you get my drift. It's a big deal for me. And so I always ask for an extra scoop of ice cream. I don't mind paying extra. I just really like to have that ice cream with my uh, pudding. Well, when we ordered our puddings, I asked for that extra serving of ice cream. And the guy looked at me a little bit strangely. And a few minutes later, he brought my pudding out. And here's a picture of what he brought for me. You'll see it up on your screen now. What I didn't realize was that it already came with two scoops. So I ended up with four scoops. It was basically some ice cream with a bit of sticky toffee pudding underneath but it was, it was fantastic it was a dream so if you're ever in wreath in north yorkshire then i recommend the sticky toffee pudding at the black pool and make sure you ask for some extra uh, servings of ice cream now over the last few weeks over the last two weeks specifically we've been looking at john chapter six where jesus miraculously feeds probably up to about fifteen thousand people with just five loaves and two fish and when jesus sent the 12 disciples round to gather up what was left over they filled 12 baskets full. And the people were understandably absolutely amazed by this miracle. They wanted to see more amazing things from Jesus, especially if there was free food on offer. And so we have this rather comical situation where the crowds of people are kind of going all over the uh, Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus, trying to see what he's going to do next. What big miracle is he going to do next? Instead of seeing the miracle as a sign that demonstrated who Jesus was and what he'd come to do, uh, kind of pointed to those things, they just saw it as a really great way to get more free food. All they could think of, it seems, was that the kind of physical material world, they wanted to make Jesus their king by force so that he would kick the Romans out, and they wanted Jesus to give them free food. And so when what must have just been a small part of this big crowd finally tracks Jesus down in Capernaum, Jesus then takes some of them into the synagogue there in Capernaum and he teaches them what the five loaves and the two fish are really all about. So we're going to read from John chapter six, verses 22 to 59. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, you want to read it or you, the verses will be up there on the screen for you. But I'm going to read uh, from John chapter six, verse 22. <clears throat> It says this, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. 
And they found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. <clears throat> and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day it is written in the prophets they will all be taught by God everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me no one has seen the father except the one who is from God only he has seen the father I tell you the truth he who believes has everlasting life I am the bread of life your forefathers ate the manna in the desert yet they died but here is the bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So the scene starts with what must have just been a few uh, a few folks, a small section of the crowd that Jesus had fed uh, earlier with the five loaves and the two fish. And finding Jesus finally in Capernaum, they track him down. And this is what Jesus says to them when he uh, meets them. I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. 
They go searching for Jesus, hoping to see some more miracles, especially if it involves free food. But instead, they receive a rebuke from Jesus. See, their focus was on physical bread to fill their stomachs. And they totally missed the point of the miraculous sign which pointed to who Jesus was and what he'd come to do. And as we're going to see as we work through this passage, this crowd of people are typical of people in general who are just interested in filling their lives with physical, temporary things. This crowd of people had the Son of God right in front of them, the Word made flesh. And yet all they were interested in was bread, free food. And so many people are like that today. People try to fill their lives with things that they think will satisfy them. Everybody has a a deep hunger right inside them, not a physical hunger for food, but a spiritual hunger. And people try to satisfy that hunger with all sorts of things, money, possessions, power, sex, relationships, qualifications, careers, titles, houses, cars, holidays, even religion and even physical food. But none of those things ever really deliver. They sometimes give satisfaction for a short period of time, just as bread fills our stomachs, but then we're hungry again for the next thing, whatever that is that we're looking for. And in the West today, we have more than we could ever imagine. And yet no matter how much we get, is never enough to satisfy us. We just want more. And the point Jesus is making in this passage is that he is the only thing. He is the only person that truly satisfies that deep need we have within us, our deepest longing and our deepest hunger. And that's why Jesus in this passage calls himself the bread of life. I am the bread of life, he says. And this is the first of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. Seven different ways that Jesus uses to refer to himself and describe aspects of who he is and what he does. And this is the first. I am the bread of life. Bread is one of the most basic foods, isn't it? For many people, even in, in the world today. And Jesus says, look, if you want to live, if you want to really live, then you need to feed on the living bread that only I can provide. Jesus gave his life upon the cross so that all who trust in him could receive forgiveness, a relationship with God and eternal life. And our deepest need is to be forgiven by the God who made us and by the God who we've sinned against so that we can have a relationship with him and receive eternal life. Jesus' body, Jesus' flesh would be cruelly put to death on the cross. He would be punished by God the Father for your sins, for my sins. All the wrong things that we've ever said or done. And if we place our faith and our trust in him, then we can receive the benefits of what his death and resurrection achieved. It's like we're feeding on Jesus and all that he's done for us. That's what Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life. Our greatest need, a relationship with God, can only be met by Jesus. Can I ask you a question this morning? What are you trying to satisfy your deepest hunger and your deepest need with? What are you trying to satisfy your deepest hunger and your deepest need with? Unless it's Jesus, it will fail to deliver. It will fail to deliver in the here and now. But much more importantly, it will fail to deliver in eternity. Maybe you've already trusted in Jesus. You fed on Jesus, the living bread, 
But more recently, maybe you've been eating from bread from somebody else's table. You've fallen for the lie that Jesus isn't enough for you. And you've been trying to fill your life with the stuff that this world tells you that you need to be happy, to be fulfilled. Having rebuked and challenged the crowd, it's probably at this point that Jesus then goes inside the synagogue and carries on his teaching and develops what he's saying. Now, here's a picture of the synagogue in Capernaum. This one dates to the fourth century AD, a few hundred years after Jesus was there preaching. But it's built on the foundations of the synagogue that Jesus taught him. It's built on the foundations of that first century AD synagogue. And here's a picture of our very own star Victoria Mullis standing next to it. This is taken when Paul and Victoria were in Israel a few years ago. Now, having gone inside, Jesus then begins to teach in more detail about the bread of life and what he means. In verse 27, he says this, do not work for bread that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you on him. God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Don't try to meet that deep longing within you by filling your lives with stuff that doesn't deliver or food that spoils. Instead, focus on the food that's eternal and that gives you eternal life. And the only person that can provide that kind of spiritual food is Jesus, the Son of Man. He has that stamp of approval from God that says he is authentic and he really does deliver. But as the people in the synagogue hear this from Jesus, they get hung up on the phrase. They hear this phrase, do not work for food that spoils. They're obsessed, as so many people are, with the idea that there's something that they need to do to get this spiritual food, whatever it is, from God. Look at verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. They'd begun to grasp that maybe Jesus was talking about something more and better than just physical food, physical bread. But they assumed that whatever it was that Jesus was talking about, they had to do something to get it. What works does God require from us before he will give us this special bread? And Jesus turns their whole approach upside down by saying that the work that they needed to do wasn't work at all. What they needed to do actually was nothing. There wasn't any work that they could do to earn this special bread. They simply needed to believe in the one that God had sent. That was the work that God required of them, as it is of us today. See, the bread of life cannot be earned. The bread of life is received by simply putting our faith in Jesus. The bread of life with all that that means, which we're going to look at in a bit more detail today. The bread of life can't be earned. It is received simply by putting our faith in Jesus. The bread of life, Jesus, and all that he brings and gives to us isn't something we earn. We receive him and we receive all that he brings by putting our faith and our trust in him. And if you've yet to believe in Jesus, not believing about him, but believing in him, then can I challenge you to take that step of faith today and put your trust in Jesus? And in doing so, receive the bread of life, the bread from heaven that gives you forgiveness, a relationship with God and eternal life. The people in the synagogue still hadn't really grasped what Jesus was saying to them. They wanted more miraculous signs from Jesus so that they could believe in him. They wanted Jesus to not only feed thousands with physical bread as he'd done the previous day, but to do an even greater miracle than Moses 1400 years earlier had done. And, and they wanted Jesus to feed them with bread from heaven. 
This is what Jesus said to them in verse 32. I tell you the truth. It is not Moses that has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus pointed out to them that it wasn't Moses that had sent the manna from heaven where the people of Israel uh, had left Egypt 1400 years earlier and that they were wandering in the desert 40 years. It wasn't Moses that had done that. It was God himself who provided that physical food, that manna from heaven. And God is now offering them and us today true bread from heaven, not manna that feeds people physically, but spiritual bread that meets a person's true deepest need. And then Jesus says that he is this bread from heaven. He is the bread of God. He is the one who has come to give real life, real life to the world, not physical life, but spiritual life. People in the synagogue were beginning to grasp that Jesus was talking about more than just physical bread. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And so in verse 35, we read, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Physical bread satisfies our hunger for a while and then we're hungry again. Physical bread goes stale and it perishes. But Jesus satisfies our deepest spiritual hunger and thirst. Jesus claims to be the one that can meet our deepest spiritual need, forgiveness, a relationship with God and eternal life. And we receive these things by coming to Jesus and acknowledging our need of him and by believing in Jesus. Those who come to him will never hunger and those who believe in him will never thirst. And in verse 48, he says it again. Look at what he says. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Israelites in the desert 1400 years earlier had eaten the physical manna, a bread-like substance that God had miraculously sent from heaven to feed them, but they still eventually died. Jesus is the spiritual bread that comes from heaven, and those that feed on Jesus will never die spiritually. They will have eternal life. And all of this is made possible by what Jesus says at the end of verse 51. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And that, of course, was a reference to how Jesus would go on to die on the cross and take the punishment for your sins and for my sins. And then Jesus phrases it in a slightly different way. Back in verse 35, Jesus said that those who come to him and believe in him will never go hungry. And will never be thirsty. Now he puts it in a slightly different way. Look at verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now it was obvious to the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus wasn't teaching cannibalism. So what was he saying? And they asked that very question to each other. Well, Jesus wasn't teaching that in order to have this eternal life, they needed to actually eat his body and drink his blood. How could they do that? And how can we do that today? We obviously can't. They obviously couldn't. And this isn't a reference either to the Lord's Supper, to communion, the act of taking bread and wine to remember Jesus and proclaim his death. That's not what Jesus is referring to here either. 
When we read of the blood of Jesus in the Bible, it's a shorthand way of referring to his sacrificial death there on the cross for us. So what Jesus was saying was that the only way to have eternal life, which is, of course, our deepest need, is to feed on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done by dying there on the cross for us. When we feed on Jesus, it's like feeding on food. We take food into our bodies and we absorb the goodness and the benefits of it. And so we gain by eating. And as you can probably see, I've gained considerably over lockdown and holiday by eating. Our physical food as we eat it becomes a part of us and we gain from it. And it's the same with Jesus. When by faith we feed on Jesus, he comes and lives within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 56, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. The forgiveness, the relationship with God and eternal life that Jesus offers through his death on the cross becomes part of who we are. We gain by spiritually eating and drinking. And in doing so, we're linked with Jesus forever. And Jesus and all that he has done for us on the cross becomes a part of who we are. And it belongs to us then for all eternity. So Jesus is the bread of life, the one who meets our deepest need, forgiveness, a relationship with God and eternal life. Now, Jesus makes it very clear in his teaching here that the offer of the living bread is open to everybody. Whoever eats and drinks receives eternal life. And he's very clear that that it's the personal choice of each person as to what they do with the offer of the living bread. These are real choices that every single person makes. However, he also teaches in this section that it's only those whose hearts that God the Father is working in that will make that choice and believe. Look at what he says in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. So unless God, the father, through the power of and the work of the Holy Spirit is at work in a person's life, they won't make that choice to believe in Jesus, the bread of life, and then receive him into their life. And there's much more we could say about this. But for for simplicity and time's sake this morning, what we can say is that none of us deserve forgiveness, eternal life, a relationship with God. We all deserve God's wrath. So if God chooses to work in some people's hearts, but not in others, that doesn't mean that he's unfair or unjust. It just means that he's being gracious to us. He's treating us in a way that we don't deserve. Those he doesn't draw to Jesus aren't treated unfairly. They get what they deserve because everybody deserves God's wrath against their sin. But God in his mercy chooses to show grace to some and draw them to Jesus. And as God draws them to Jesus, they personally make that real choice to come to the living bread and believe and receive. So we have to face up to the fact that not everybody that hears the good news about Jesus will respond. Not everybody that hears the good news about Jesus will respond. Some will reject that message. And it's a real choice that they personally make. And whilst this is a really difficult concept for us to get our heads around, it certainly is for me, we can nevertheless take some comfort, I think, from these verses, because it reminds us that people trusting in Jesus 
isn't dependent on and it's not down to how good we personally are at sharing that good news with others. People rejected Jesus when he was stood right in front of them. And we're going to see that next week. And, and I personally find that quite helpful because it reminds me that it's not down to how good or bad I am at telling other people about Jesus. We should still do all we can to tell others about Jesus so that they will make that choice to feed on the living bread. But it doesn't depend on us. It's not down to how good we are at doing it. Our role is to be faithful in telling other people. But for a person to trust in Jesus and to feed on the living bread, it also requires God to be at work in their lives. And it requires that person to make their own choice. Jesus also teaches in this passage that those who come to him and believe in him and feed on the living bread are secure then for all eternity. They can't and they won't lose that salvation that they've been given. Look at what Jesus says in verse 37. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So those whose lives God the Father is at work in will be given to Jesus by the Father and they will put their trust in him. And once they've come to Jesus, they will never be driven away. It's not just that Jesus doesn't reject them when they come to him. In the Greek here, it literally means that once they've come to Jesus, they will never subsequently be driven away either. No matter how badly they might let Jesus down, no matter how much of a mess they might make of following Jesus, once they've come to Jesus, they will always be his. It's kind of the idea of sheep being rounded up and brought into a sheep pen. And once they're in the sheep pen, they will never leave the sheep pen. Neither will they be driven out of that sheep pen. And the reason for this is because Jesus had come to do the will of God the Father. And the will of God the Father in this context is that those who trust in Jesus are safe and secure in his hands for eternity. Jesus' mission will never be a failure. He did and continues to fulfill the will of God the Father. And those that come to Jesus and feed on the bread of life will never lose their salvation. That is the will of God the Father. Jesus will never lose anyone that God the Father gives to him. They're safe and secure in his hands for all eternity. In verse 40, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's a done deal. Once a person looks to the Son, Jesus, and believes in him, they receive eternal life, and they will never be driven away. They will never be lost by Jesus. And that's fantastic, isn't it? Because that means that our eternal destiny doesn't depend on us. It depends on Jesus and Jesus can't and won't lose us. When we sin and make a mess of things and we will, we're not going to lose our salvation. It doesn't depend on how well or good we perform or how good we are. It's totally dependent on who Jesus is and what Jesus has already done for us. See, once we are saved, we cannot lose our salvation. Once we are saved, we cannot lose our salvation. Now, this isn't an excuse for a Christian to behave how they want once they've trusted in Jesus. That's not what Jesus is teaching. And if a person professes to be a Christian, but then thinks that they can behave as they want, then it's probably questionable whether they've really ever trusted in Jesus. What we can say is that those who genuinely trusted in Jesus will never lose their salvation. 
If you have genuinely trusted in Jesus, then your forgiveness, your relationship with God and the eternal life that you have isn't dependent on what you do or what you don't do. It isn't dependent on how well you do for the rest of your life. Your forgiveness, your relationship with God and your eternal life is totally dependent on Jesus. Jesus commands our destiny. It's all about God's grace, God treating us in a way that we don't deserve. It's not about what we do or don't do. We're saved by God's grace and not by our works or our actions. And we're also kept secure by God's grace. Jesus, the, the one who saves us, will also keep us secure for all eternity. Let's read verses 57 uh, as, as we come to the close this morning. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on me will live forever. Great words, fantastic words. Let's summarize what we said this morning. Each one of us has a, a deep hunger that only Jesus can satisfy. And this morning, if you've yet to put your trust in Jesus, then can I challenge you to come to him today and feed on him rather than trying to fill your life with things that can't and won't satisfy. You know, there's nothing that you can do to earn forgiveness, a relationship with God and eternal life. Instead, you simply need to believe and feed on that bread of life. Sadly, not everyone will do that. Lots of people will reject Jesus. Can I plead with you this morning? Don't be one of those people. If you've trusted in Jesus in the past, but you found yourself perhaps eating at somebody else's table, then why not take that opportunity this morning to put that right and come back to Jesus' table, to come back to Jesus where you should be? For those of us who've trusted in Jesus, this passage reminds us that whilst we do need to do all we can to tell others about Jesus, it's not down to us. And that should take great pressure off us. It should free us from false guilt when a person perhaps we've shared the good news with then rejects Jesus. And lastly, if you have trusted in Jesus, then your eternal destiny is secure. No one, not even yourself, can snatch us out of the hands of Jesus. Jesus commands our destiny. Thank you.